Had to keep an eye on some of you couples during that bumper video there. Just make sure everyone's behaving. <laughs> Kyle said when Spencer was making that video, he'd have to like pop his head in his office every once in a while and be like, what are you looking at, dude? You know? <laughs> oh, that's enough about that, right? Okay, all right. If you're... <laughs> right. It's fine. Um, glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, I missed you guys last week. My wife and I kind of took our, our, with our family, our annual vacation. Um, but we watched the service online. We were in uh, San Diego and it was really, really nice. And uh, Dave absolutely crushed it last week. Did a fantastic job. Yeah, it's very, very comforting to be able to, to be able to take a vacation and know that everything's going to be good. And uh, chapter one of First Timothy is not an easy chapter. to te- None of None of First Timothy is, is going to be easy to teach. Chapter 2 is not easy uh, either, but Dave uh, hit the hard points, and he walked right into it and um, did a really, really good job with that. The big point that Dave was talking about last week is he kind of ended on this idea of what does it mean to be built up in the faith, right? Which I think is a really pertinent question. What does it mean to be built up in this Christian faith that, that we believe if you're in here, if you call yourself a Christian? Um, this week, we're, we're in chapter 2, which is... Which is a lot shorter than chapter one, but has some very, very controversial, hard-hitting stuff in it. And I get the pleasure of teaching that chapter this week. And um, here's what we're gonna talk about, and then I'm gonna preface this lesson a little bit with a little bit about me. We're gonna talk about two things. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about how both men and women are called to live at a higher standard. When we become Christians, we are called not to stay where we are, where Christ finds us, but to, to step up. And of course, God gives us the ability to step up, right? His Holy Spirit helps us be the men and women that we need to be. Okay, we're gonna talk about that. We're also gonna ask ourselves a question as we leave here, and it's gonna be, we're, we're just gonna kinda get into the mud a little bit today. It's gonna, be, it's gonna be a little muddy, a little messy. But we're gonna ask ourselves, what defines me? What defines me? What do others think of me? What does God think of me? What defines me as a person? We're gonna talk about that a little bit today. Now, let me give you a little bit of a preface before we jump into this chapter. And towards the end of it, we get into some, some, some interesting conversation. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about today, towards the end of this, women in leadership and women's role in the church, okay? Now, I'm going to be very passionate about this, and I'm going to tell you why I'm going to be passionate about it. And I'm going to try to subdue myself a little bit because my personal experiences have shaped the way I feel about this a little bit, but I'm going to try to put that on the back burner in order to just let the Word of God speak for the Word of God, okay? But I was raised by a mother... My father was absent the majority of my life, and he's absent in my life right now. Um, I was raised by my mother. I have one sibling that's an older sister of mine. She's five years older than me. I'm obviously married. I have two daughters, and I even have a female dog, right? So my life is all women, and it's been all women almost my entire life. I think very highly of women. I tell my daughters they can do anything they want in this life, right? Whatever boys can do, you can do it better, girls. Like, that's what I tell my girls all the time because they're my girls. So uh, I'm one of those kinds of guys. Now, I'm going to try my best, and my mother's probably watching right now like, yeah. Um, I'm going to do my best to kind of put my personal experiences on the back burner, and we're just going to focus on this. But I preface this lesson with I'm passionate about this topic. And it's something that um, it's very hard for me to sit still when we talk about roles and how some roles have been kind of distorted and dropped and other roles are not edified and and built up as much as they should be in the church. So that's going to come out a little bit. So I'm going to ask for your forgiveness and then I'm going to make a mess and then I'm going to run off the stage and go home, right? So that's what I'm (laughs) going to do. 
That's the plan today, okay? Just so everyone knows. So, All right, I'm gonna pray. We'll dive into this chapter. If you have your Bible, we're in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter two. Uh, you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything will be on the screens. And if you have the app, the Experience Community app, click on service on the bottom and then sermon notes and, and you got everything ready to rock, okay? Okay, let's jump into it. Let me pray and then we'll, uh, we'll see where the Lord takes us. Father, I just wanna tell you thank you. I wanna tell you thank you for this church, Lord. I love, 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 love this church, God. I pray that you bless this church, strengthen this church, God. Lord, we don't just pray for our church, we pray for every church in our city. God, we pray for every church in our county. We pray for the churches that we work with in New England and in other countries, God. And we pray, Lord, that your kingdom just is advanced, God, and that it's healthy. Lord, I pray that you keep your hand on me today, God. Give me the wisdom to, to speak words that edify this body and sharpen this body. And Lord, I pray that everything we do this morning, that it ultimately makes you proud and gives you all the honor and all the glory. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. Keep your hand on us today as we learn. And um, thank you for your word, God. Pray all these things in your son's name. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's get into chapter two. Now, this was written from a guy named Paul to a guy named Timothy in a city called Ephesus, which we'll get to a little bit later, all right? This is what Paul says to his young protege, Timothy. He says, first of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good. And it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, here's what Paul is going to do with us today and what he was doing with Timothy. He's going to show us a couple of different ways that we need to depend on God. The first way that he brings up that we are to depend on God is we are to pray to God and depend on God to touch the hearts of people around us. We're to often up offer up petitions for them. We're to offer up intercessions. We're praying for other people and we're to offer up thanksgiving for other people. Now, when the Bible says that we do that for all people, it means exactly that, all people. Now, it's easy for us to pray for good people. It's easy for us to pray for the widow, the orphan, the downtrodden, the homeless, the hungry, the beat down. It's very easy for us to pray for them. It's very difficult for us to pray for the ultra rich, right? It's very difficult for us to pray for kings and people in authority that we may not agree with. Now, here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell you that you have to agree with every Democrat and Republican that's out there, but the Bible tells us that we are to pray for those in authority. We're to pray for our government. In fact, the Bible tells us that the government was created by God for our benefit. And when the government operates the way it should, it is an ally to the gospel, not an enemy to the gospel. Our problem, though, is this. We often complain about our government more than we pray for it. I don't know if you guys know this. Complaining doesn't solve anything. But when we petition God and pray about it, God may work in the hearts of our government leaders. And Paul encouraged Christians to pray for all governments at all time, regardless of how evil they are. But Corey, you don't know how bad Donald Trump is. Listen, the guy that Paul told Timothy to pray for was a guy named Caesar Nero. You should just Google worst Caesars of all time, right? Nero is the guy. Nero was a horrible person. Not only was he a horrible person, Nero was the one that chopped Paul's head off. 
So the very guy that chopped Paul's head off eventually was the one that Paul said, you need to pray for that guy. But Corey, the government's corrupt. That's why they need prayer, right? The government uses our tax money wrong. They do this, they, they do that, they lie. Yes, all more reason as to why we should pray for our officials and people in authority above us. We also pray so we can be better people and function better in society. When we have a prayer life that leads us to be tranquil people, quiet, that doesn't mean that we don't speak up against injustice. This means that we are humble enough to submit and learn from other people. We're tranquil, we're quiet, we live in all godliness. We're to enter into prayer with a sense of responsibility, with awe, with reverence, with joy. Prayer is not just that thing that, that Kyle does as I'm walking up to the stage, and it's not just that thing you do when you're in Chick-fil-A because you know everyone around you is a Christian, right? We better pray, right? That's, <laughs> that's not all prayer is. Prayer is our opportunity to talk to the creator of the universe. Why don't we do that more, right? The creator of everything is like, hey, I'd love to talk to you. And we're like, eh, I'm on Facebook, right? Portraying this life that I don't really live, right? So that's what we're doing instead of talking to our creator, God. Prayer is a big deal. It's a big responsibility. And God wants everyone to know him. God wants everyone to have a relationship with him. Not only do Christians pray so we can get closer to God, we pray so hopefully other people will get closer to God. It is God's desire that everyone come to a knowledge of the truth, that everyone have a relationship with him. God wants humanity to be truly liberated. And the only way to be truly liberated is through one avenue, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. There's only one way to find liberation. That's through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. God wants all people to know Jesus Christ and to have a relationship with him. It's the only way to, to find true freedom, okay? Paul continues, he says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. So we depend on God through prayer. We also depend on God by knowing who God is. There's one God, one God, Paul says, and that there is one mediator between God and broken sinful humanity, and that is Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying there is quite a large statement. It's actually at the core of the Christian faith that there is exclusivity with Jesus Christ. There is only one pathway to get to heaven and it is through Jesus Christ. That's a large and very unpopular statement in our culture right now because the word of our culture right now is not exclusivity in Jesus Christ. That's not the, the mantra of our day. It is the word tolerance. You have to be tolerant to everything. And the word tolerance, the aspiration of tolerance, is another fancy word called pluralism, which means your truth is your truth. My truth may be different, but there are multiple pathways to the same destination, and that is not true. Now, let me hit on this for a second. You guys may not like this, but we're just going to go there. Sometimes we have to separate our nationalism and our Christianity. I don't know if you guys know this. The Constitution and the Bible are not the same thing. To be an American and a Christian is not always the same thing. They are two different things in a lot of regards. Now, let me give you an example in a practical way, right? Again, you may hate this. I just don't care anymore. So 
As an American, as an American, I honor and respect, listen, and even celebrate the fact that we can worship freely. So when they built the mosque, I didn't freak out. I said, this is what makes America great. The Buddhist temple, the Hindu temple, the Unitarian church, all these things. Now listen, that's my American side. We have the right to worship however we want. That's what makes this country one of the greatest places in the world to live, this American side of freedom of religion, right? My Christian side theologically disagrees with all those houses of worship and knows there is one pathway to get to heaven, Jesus Christ. I have to separate those two things. And as a Christian, it is not only illogical to think that there are multiple pathways to heaven, it is a sin to think there are multiple pathways to heaven. Why? Because Jesus Christ, the one you claim to follow if you're a Christian, said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. That is a very definitive, exclusive statement from Jesus Christ himself, God on earth. As an American, I celebrate your freedom to worship however you want. As a Christian, I disagree with your choice of how you worship, right? And we have to differentiate those two things. Not everyone can be right. Jesus is the only one who is a ransom for all people. He is the only one that could bridge the gap between a righteous, perfect God and a broken, sinful humanity. Without the shedding of Jesus Christ's blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding, without the cross... There is no forgiveness of sins. There is no reconcile with God the Father. So we remember who God is. We also need to remember who we are in God. I love this about Paul. Paul knew exactly who he was. He knew what he was in the moment, that he was a herald. He was a messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He also knew what he came from. Paul referred to himself as the worst sinner that had ever lived, the chief sinner, he had done awful, atrocious, horrible things, but he understood that God had saved him from those things, given him a voice, and he also knew that all the success he had, he doesn't get the credit, but it was Jesus Christ's credit. So we need to know who we are, but we don't boast in ourselves. We, mo we boast in Jesus Christ who is in us and what he does through us and to us. We need to know who he is, and we need to know who we are. Now, let me get off on a tangent here just for a moment, if I haven't already been doing that. There's a lot of you, and I've been addressing this a lot the last couple of months. There's a lot of you who are Christians who say, I'm just a dirty sinner. That is not biblically supported. Colossians 2 and Romans chapter 6 says we are saved from the old self. The old self is dead. You're not the same as you used to be. We are not dirty sinners. Jesus Christ did not hang on a cross for nine hours and shed his blood so you can stay in the same identity that you were in before you knew him. You are different. The Bible says not only are we not sinners, that we are more than overcomers of sinners, the Bible says. So that doesn't mean that you're gonna be perfect, but sin is not your identity. Death is not your identity. We live beyond that. We live in holiness like he is holy. That's what the Bible says, okay? Moving on. So God is still looking for men and women who will be heralds. He is trying to open the door for us, trying to push us through these doors to encourage us to be ambassadors to a broken and hurting world. And another piece of bad theology that I hear Christians say a lot is, we don't need to say anything about Jesus, we just need to live like Jesus. That's not true. No one is going to hear the gospel unless we speak the gospel. 
So we are to live in a way that honors God and brings people to us and gives us a good reputation with the world around us. But when the rubber meets the road, we need to tell people why we live the way we live, who has saved us and redeemed us and who will also do that for them if they will humble themselves and call on his name. We have to share the truth. If speaking the word was pointless, we wouldn't have this flipping book. We have it because the word is important and speaking the word is important. Okay, Paul the messenger wanted three things clear. All truth comes from God. Salvation is free for anyone who will pick it up and it is your responsibility and my responsibility to tell people about Jesus Christ. Those things are crystal clear when it comes from Paul. Here comes the fun stuff. All right, here we go. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess to worship God. So let's pick on men just for a minute, okay? God speaks through Paul, and Paul tells Timothy and all of us that men everywhere are to pray, They're to lift up holy hands, they're not to have anger issues, and they're not to be argumentative. When I read that, and when I look at the modern day church culture, and I'm not beating up on all you men in here, but there's a lot of you, this does not reflect modern day church culture, how men act. The problem is, is that too many men, most of them don't even come to church with their wives and stuff like that, but a lot of the men who do come do not have as deep a relationship with Jesus Christ as they should have. And so the Bible, though, calls men to live at a pretty high standard, that men are called to have prayer lives. It doesn't need to be your wife praying for the family all the time. It doesn't need to be your mom or your grandma. Men, you need to have a life of prayer. You need to block off some time to pray. You need to be the one that prays for your children. You need to be the one who gathers the family together and prays for the the family. You need to have a prayer life. Men are also called to be able to come into church, lift up holy hands, and worship, which means holy hands means that they are unpolluted by sin. It's hard to raise your hands in church when you've been looking at porn all week. It's hard to raise your hands in church when you're a liar, when you're not working hard, when you're not providing for your family, when you're not doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing. But men are called to be able to lift up hands, holy hands, unpolluted by sin. Paul says that men need to get a grip on their tempers. Well, Corey, I was just born ornery, right? Well, then you need to be born a second time, as the Bible tells you to be. Listen, a lot of us were born into bad dispositions. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, a man needs to be born a second time. We're born into the sinful nature first, and then we're born out of it the second time. A spiritual birth. I don't care how you were born. Be born a second time. And we need to get a grip on our argumentative dispositions. Now, I know you can't do it alone. Well, I can't do that, Corey. You're right. You can't do that. But with the Holy Spirit and God's help and a little bit of humility on your side, God can elevate you to where he wants you to be. You can be the man that you're supposed to be with God's help. But I know what a lot of men say. Well, I don't lift my hands and sing in church because, Corey, I'm just not that emotional. That's a lie, too. I see how you guys act during college football season when your team loses. 
I see the fist fights you guys get into and throwing your beer on your neighbor and kicking stuff down and punching holes in walls and all the stupid stuff. It's not that you men aren't emotional. You just waste your emotions on things that don't matter. You're emotional. You're just emotional for the wrong things. The problem isn't an intellectual issue and it's not an emotion issue. The problem is a spiritual issue. It's a priority issue. And quite frankly, a lot of men that think they're men's because they banged a lot of chicks and they work out all the time and they drive a big truck or whatever the case may be, that's not the biblical standard of what a man is. A man is someone who protects his family, provides for his wife, loves the Lord and sets a precedent of how we're supposed to live in a way that honors God, that's a man. So the problem with the vast majority of men is our problem, our, our priorities are completely out of whack. It's more important for you to play golf than it is for you to hang out with your children. That's wrong. Quite frankly, it's sinful. There's a problem with that. Okay, sorry, that's enough. <laughs> now on to women, right? <laughs> At the nine o'clock, all the men were like, yeah, bring it, you know? <laughs> So for the women, Paul says, women, you are to dress yourselves in modest clothing, with decency, with good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or expensive apparel. Now, listen, if you're wearing gold or expensive apparel, if your hair looks pretty right now, that's not a sin. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> All the women are like taking out their earrings, right? No earrings in me. What Paul is trying to say here is a lot, listen, a lot of women find their value in how good they look. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. Women are supposed to find their value by their character, by the good things that they do, by how they honor the Lord. Now, modesty and decency, it changes from culture to culture. If you ever go to another country, if you ever go with me to Africa, you're gonna see a lot of topless women in Africa. It's not that they're trying to be immodest. That's, the culture is different. But what Paul was saying to Timothy and what God wants women to know is it's not how big your boobs are. It's not how many likes you get on your Instagram for posting those pictures in your bathing suit. It's not, you know, like all these, it's not your elaborate hair. It's not your pretty nails. That's not what makes you valuable. What makes you valuable is that you're a daughter of the King of Kings. Amen. That's where your value comes from. Nothing wrong with looking pretty. Nothing wrong with taking care of yourself. But that is not where your worth comes from, Right? Your worth doesn't come from those things. Your worth comes from your good works. And again, living in Jesus Christ. That's what's proper for women who profess to follow God. Look at the depth of what Paul is saying. Again, women should be known by their character, not just their outer appearance. Now, what was happening in the city of Ephesus with women it was actually a very female-dominated area. But if you weren't in this certain cult, I'll get to that in a minute, in Ephesus, you were kind of a woman that was shunned by other women. So what was happening is a lot of these women were becoming Christians and they found this new freedom because Christianity is quite progressive when it comes to women. So these women were finding this new freedom, but what they were doing is they were kind of being a distraction. They would come to church and have crazy hairstyles and super elaborate clothing and the focus was more on the women than it was on Jesus. And Paul said, that's not the way it's supposed to be. The focus is on God. Now, when it comes to modesty and decency, this isn't just a female thing. This is for all people. It should be practiced by men and women. Now, we're just gonna talk like adults here for a minute. We need to make sure, both men and women, that we're not stumbling blocks. I'll probably catch some heck for this, but whatever, I'm just gonna say it. If a woman's boobs are falling out of her shirt and she's like, why are guys looking? You're showing everybody. I mean, like... <laughs> so, 
If you don't intend for people to look, why did you buy that shirt in the first place, right? If you didn't want someone to look at your legs, why are you wearing shorts that are so short? So you don't wanna be a stumbling block, both men and women. On the flip side of that, because all you men are like, that's right, she shouldn't have worn that shirt. Well, look, you need to control your eyes regardless of what the woman is wearing. Just because a woman is showing too much doesn't mean that you need to be looking at it. You need to get control of your eyes. You need to make sure that you're, you're honoring women and God with where you look and how you think. You need to control yourself, men. And so what modesty and decency are is it's a heart issue. Guys, again, this is probably gonna hurt some of your feelings and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but when you post those pictures on social media, I've started unfollowing a lot of women because I don't wanna see you almost naked. I just don't. I'm married, I have girls, like I don't wanna see it. And so I want you to ask yourself, next time you post that picture, what is the heart behind that picture? What are you trying to communicate with that picture? So I think you need to start asking and go a little bit deeper. It's not how much leg you're showing or whatever, but like, what was my intention in posting that? What was my intention in doing that? And we're not gonna be legalistic here. I'm not gonna like make you put your hands down to your side and those shorts are past your fingertips, I'm sorry. Like, we're not gonna do that. But I want you to pray about it and see what the Lord says about sometimes how we present ourselves to other people, okay? It only gets worse. Here we go, all right? <laughs> a woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. I want you to remember the word quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. Now, let me tell you something about studying the Bible, not just this chapter, but the whole Bible. There's a couple of things that are extremely important when you're studying the Bible. The first is context. Who was the author writing to? Where was the author writing to? And what was kind of the point behind it, right? What was happening in that area that made Paul write what he, write, what he wrote? The second thing that we need to think about when we read the Bible is what is a major issue versus a minor issue. Let me give you a, a pretty good rule of thumb. If it mentions something in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, more than likely that is a major issue, okay? Do not steal in the Old Testament, do not steal in the New Testament. That's a major issue. That's a, that's a universal major thing, okay? Theft, right? Something like that. A minor is another thing we should look at, that there are some things that the Bible says where we can kind of agree to disagree. Uh, maybe an argument like once saved, always saved, that you can lose your salvation or not lose your salvation. You and I can disagree on that. It's a minor issue in the Bible, right? So there are majors, minors, and we have to look at the context. In this humble pastor, I think I'm humble, humble pastor's opinion, gender roles in the church is a minor issue. And I believe it has been taken way out of context on one side, and it has been taken way out of context on the other side, okay? But we're gonna get into that a little bit deeper. Women in leadership has always been a controversial issue in the church. Ever since the church was developed, it has been a controversial issue. The first thing that brings up a lot of controversy that a lot of people use is 1 Timothy chapter two. And when it says that women are to learn quietly, this is actually, we get to get into the context of where this was being written. In the city of Ephesus, there was a lot of women who had been suppressed for quite a long time. They had a newfound freedom in Christianity, and some of them did not use that freedom wisely. What that means is this. 
If someone gave you a scholarship to go to MTSU, you go in there and your first day in lecture, instead of being quiet and submitting yourself to the teacher's authority and to the school's authority, you keep interrupting the teacher saying, well, I don't agree with that. Well, what about that? And you're being a disruption. Instead of being a disruption, learn quietly. Not so you will always remain quiet, but that you can be educated enough to leave this place and communicate the truth to other people. That word quiet is also used in reference to, I think it was Jesus and Martha. That Martha sat at Jesus' feet quietly. He was the teacher, the rabbi. She was the student. The goal was not so she would be quiet forever. The goal was for her to learn from her teacher and then to go out into the world and teach other people what she had quietly learned under Jesus. That's what this is talking about. When it talks about in full submission, women in this time and women in the church in general at this time were free to ask questions, they were free to formulate ideas, but they had to do it peacefully and they had to do it with submission. And submission in here is not a male-female submission, it is submission to the authoritative teacher, submission to the word of God in general. Now I know some of you out there, well, Corey, the Bible says that women are to be submissive to their husbands. It's the one scripture that all bad husbands know by heart, right? <laughs> they come into my office and that Corey tell her that she's supposed to submit to me. And I'm like, hold on, cowboy. It also says <laughs> that you're to love her like Jesus loves the church. You've been doing that? Listen, it's hard to submit yourself. I'm gonna speak for women here for a second. It's hard to submit yourself to a husband that doesn't work and plays video games all day. It's hard to follow someone that has no idea where they're going, isn't it? So whenever men say, well, she needs to submit to me, live in such a way that makes her want to submit to your leadership. Live in such a way that honors women and helps them go where they need to go. So it gets even more complicated. Verse 12, right? This is the one that all misogynistic men use, right? Women cannot speak in church. They cannot lead, they cannot teach, they cannot have any authority. Again, we have to go back to context. One, there is no mention of anything even remotely like this in the Old Testament. One of the most powerful leaders of the Old Testament was a woman named Deborah. We'll get to her here in a second. We also need to understand what was happening in Ephesus. Why is this not mentioned throughout the whole entire Bible that women can't teach and lead? Because in the city of Ephesus, the most famous house of worship in the world at that time was a female cult at the temple of Artemis. A bunch of women, no men allowed, worshiped a female goddess in the temple of Artemis. So the women in Ephesus were not only ignorant to the Bible and Jesus, not only were they ignorant to that, a lot of them would suppress and push down and condescend men. The gender roles had gotten so far out of whack that when the mint goes in, you know it's serious. The, the, the gender roles had gotten so far out of whack that Paul had to address these women need to be quiet for a while to learn the truth before they're able to speak up because they're teaching false things. Context is important. We also see that Paul starts talking about Adam and Eve. And ever since the beginning of the Bible, man has been called to lead the home. Men has been called to live at a level where women want to follow their lead. But Paul brings up Genesis chapter three because men have failed in leadership ever since the very beginning. Not all men, but there has been a problem with male leadership ever since the very beginning. 
People always go back, again, misogynistic men, go back to Genesis chapter three and they're like, look, we're in this whole predicament because of Eve. It was Eve that messed the whole thing up. Now again, let's, let's look a little bit more into the scripture. It is absolutely true, Eve made the first mistake. She did. The devil popped up, convinced her to take the fruit, she ate the fruit, and then what does she do after she eats the fruit? She then turns to her husband and says, now you eat. Now what a good, oh, God forgive me, one day I'll be hanging out with Adam. But a good husband in that moment would have said, Eve, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is not what we should be doing. We need to go talk to God. We need to put that fruit down. This is wrong. But that's not what Adam does. He takes the fruit. And listen, when a man should have stepped up to lead, he cowered and he sinned as well. And now we have what we have right now. We look at this, we look at this, this lesson in Genesis chapter three completely backwards sometime. The epic fail in Genesis chapter three was Adam. That's where the epic fail came in. He did not lead the way he should. And so we pick on women a lot, right? And sometimes we try to use the Bible to pick on women. And that's not what God is doing. In fact, Paul brings up a very confusing kind of sentence here. He says that women are saved by childbearing and really no one knows exactly what he meant there. But one of the possibilities is this, is whenever we get into this mode of kind of suppressing and putting down women for Eve's mistake, Paul says, hold on a second. Woman is the one that God chose to be the only one that could transfer life. Life is created in woman. Man, men only have the good part of the whole baby making phase, right? Women take all the rest of it, all the difficult stuff. But it's one of the greatest honors that they can ever have is to be the one that creates life. Now, whether you're a mom in this room or not, the advice still works for all people, that we are to live in faith, love, and holiness with good sense, and that will bring us joy, and we will be saved by that. So just to clarify, can women teach and lead? Absolutely they can. I have lots of biblical examples of it. When you get into the Old Testament, one of the judges of all the people of Israel and the prophetess was a woman named Deborah. When you get into the New Testament, the first church that was ever started was by, the first church that was ever started in Europe was by a woman named Phoebe in her house. We also have one of Paul's mentors. Now listen, I don't believe the Bible ever contradicts itself. So when Paul says women can't lead, but he has a female mentor in his life that's mentioned seven or eight times in the book of Acts, a woman named Priscilla, those two things don't add up if you take it for face value. So you have to dig into the, to the context. Paul had no problem with women leaders as long as they were educated in the word and they were humble. He had one in his life. Now on the flip side of that, to my knowledge, this book has no mention of any female senior pastors, nor does it have any mention of any female elders. Do I think that's a heaven or hell issue? I don't think that, but there is no evidence of, of, of either one of those things. Women are also not inferior to men. We do have distinct roles, and they are different in a lot of ways, but they are both vitally important. The last thing is this. The issue of women leading in church should not be a thing that divides the church. It is, it is foolish to let that divide the church. I believe God will equip and send whomever God wants to equip and send. One of the best examples I can think of that whenever, whenever I hear some chauvinistic men say, women are not allowed to teach, they're not allowed to lead, they're not allowed to do those things. Think about women like Beth Moore. One of the best studies of Daniel that I've ever heard is by Beth Moore, a woman, right? 
There's a church that a buddy of mine works for in Washington, D.C. It's a 2,000-person church, all Korean, all Korean. It's a Korean-speaking church. It was started by a man and his wife. He passed away, and now it's just led by the woman, right? By, by the pastor, this woman. This church gets together five times a day, five, and they pray in one-hour blocks five times a day. Now, if you're gonna look at me and tell me that God's not working through a woman that prays five hours a day and has a church of 2,000 Koreans in the United States, I'm just gonna disagree with you on that one. I'm sorry. I think God is working pretty strong through this woman. So my last point, and I'm gonna get off hammering you guys. Ultimately, ultimately, men should be leaders. Ultimately, men should lead in the home. They should lead in the marriage, and they should lead spiritually and in the church. The problem is, is they have not stepped up. I'm not saying every single man in this room. Let me give you an example. In this church, 70% of our volunteers are women. 30% are men. I had a gentleman, I use that term loosely, I had a gentleman come up to me not too long ago after I hired a female student pastor and said, women are not to lead and teach in the church. And I said, listen, buddy, whenever you're ready to change diapers and write curriculum for our children, whenever you're ready to step up and do that, whenever you're ready to get on hospitality and make 30, 40 gallons of coffee, whenever you guys are ready to step up and take that place, listen, I'll let you do it. Until then, shut up, right? Should men lead? Absolutely. But a lot of men are not doing it. And what has happened is this. Everyone has a role, but because men have not lived in theirs, it has forced a lot of women to live outside of theirs. Now, I told you I was gonna tell you a little bit about Deborah. There's a great biblical example of what I'm talking about right here. If you go back to Judges 4 and 5, there was a prophetess and a judge named Deborah. Very powerful, strong woman that directly received information from God and communicated it to God's people. You can look her up. There was also a general named Barak. And Barak's job was to listen to what Deborah had to tell him and to go out and fight certain battles and lead the army in the way that God was telling Deborah to tell Barak to do it. One time, Deborah goes up to Barak and says, God has told you or told me to tell you to fight these certain people. Go out to war with these people. Barak was a chicken. And he looks at Deborah and says, I'll go if you go. And Deborah said, okay, I'll go because you're not gonna step up and do what God has called you, the man, to do. I will step up. And Deborah says, but know this, you, the man, are not going to get credit for this victory. I, the woman, am going to get credit for this victory. And a woman had to step in place where a man should have done his job, and she went in and did it. And we still talk about Deborah to this day in a positive light, is one of the greatest leaders of the Old Testament. Okay. So let's talk about some universal things that all of us can gain from this today, right? No more male bashing, I'm, I'm done. The first is this, we all need to pray. Whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're a teenager or a college student, whatever the case may be, you need to have a prayer life. Your prayer life is not just for yourself. We tend to, 90% of our prayers are just about us. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. You should be the last thing on your prayer list. We need to not just be praying for ourselves, we need to be praying for our neighbors. We need to be praying for our family. We need to pray just generally, God, touch the hearts of mankind that more people would be saved. Make people receptive to the gospel. Lord, help us, help us, help us, help us. 
Not only do we need to pray for others and for humanity's salvation, we're called to honor authority. Well, I don't agree with the authority. Guys, I don't agree with a lot of the authority. I don't agree with a lot that our nation does. I don't see eye to eye with it. But I've prayed for every president since I've been a Christian, whether I've voted for them or not voted for them. I find it very, very interesting that people want the president to fail, any president. I want the ship that I'm on to sink. That sounds very stupid to me. I want everyone who's in leadership in Washington, D.C. to flourish and to make this nation the best they can. And I pray for God's wisdom and God's discernment for them. And I pray that God helps them. Regardless of what your affiliations are, you need to pray for our leadership. You need to pray for our government. In order to live the way we should, we must be clear on who God is. And you must know who you are. You're not a dirty, rotten sinner. You have been bought and purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You are sons and daughters of the king of the universe. That's who you are. And his Holy Spirit is in you. And your value does not come from your degrees or your money or how good you look or how bad you look or what mistakes you've made. Your value comes because you are made in the image of a perfect God. And he absolutely adores you. You need to know who he is, the perfect heavenly father, and you need to know who you are. You are his child. You need to know that. We also have to start taking responsibility. It's not anyone else's fault if my marriage falls apart than mine. It's my fault. It's not the church's fault. People who post on Facebook, well, the church hurt me one day. That's why I live the way I do. When you stand in front of Jesus Christ, you're not going to be able to blame me for your lack of relationship with him. I'm sorry. I know that I need to be responsible for leading you the best I can, but when you stand in front of Jesus Christ, he's not going to say, well, Corey did suck sometimes. You can come on in, right? You're going to have to be held accountable for how you lived. You're going to be held accountable for if you prayed or didn't pray, if you had a relationship with God. We need to be responsible for our families. Stop complaining about the generation coming up and start raising them. Start parenting them. Start mentoring them. Men, women, we are to raise our children. It's not the school system's job. It's not the church's job. It's my job to raise my girls. I need to take responsibility. We as a church need to take responsibility for how the church functions in this broken world. Man, the world sucks. You're right, it does. Let's get to work. We have a lot that we need to do. We have a lot of people we need to pray for. We have a lot of people we need to feed. We have a lot of people we need to clothe. We have a lot of jobs to create. We have a lot of infrastructure to build. We have a lot that we need to take care of. And the church needs to step in and they need to be a part of that. We need to be responsible. Let me go back. We also need to get a grip on sin. The reason why some of you don't hear God clearly is there's too much sin in your life. The frequency is muffled, it's muted. We have to deal with our sin. The reason why so many of us can't lift up holy hands, the reason why we can't worship freely is there's too much sin in our life. Jesus said it this way, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve the things of this world and me simultaneously, you can't do it. We can't have sin and we can't have these idols and these evil things in our life and expect to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's impossible, says Jesus. No person can have two masters. You just can't do it. And the reason why so many of us have reached kind of a, a stumbling block or, a, or a, road, a roadblock in our faith is because we have unrepentant sin in our hearts. We cannot be what God wants us to be if we don't address our sin. We have to address our sin. 
And here's the last thing. You and I in this room are called to be known by our character, by our holiness. That's a very biblical churchy word. But holiness is our connection to God. It's the good things that we do in order to build up our relationship with God, in order to help those around us, in order to bring the attention and the glory and the, and the, and the respect towards God. That's holiness. That's what we're to be known for. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you having a PhD. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you making money or having a beautiful wife and having a nice home in a nice neighborhood. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but that is not what should define you. What should define you is how you live, how you love God. And so many of us, guys, if we're just gonna talk real, that's why you guys post so many of those pictures on Facebook and Instagram, because you want people to know you. You're trying to create a definition of yourself. I'm beautiful, I'm popular, I'm well-traveled, I'm educated, I know all these things. We're trying to somehow convince the world around us of what we are, but here's the problem with that. God sees us when we're not on Facebook. God sees past the facade that so many of us are trying to paint to the world around us, that everything is great, I'm great, know it all, got it all figured out, all these things are fantastic, and God sees through all that. So it's not just what other people think of us. What does God think of us? He knows every hair on our head. He knows us before we were even knit together in our mother's womb. If you're honest with yourself, be honest. What defines you? Your looks? Your money? Your education? How many women you've slept with and how many parties you go to? How many places you've been in the world? What defines you? And if you go a little bit further, does it, does it matter? Is it fleeting? Is it shallow? Or is it something of substance? Am I known by how much I love the Lord? Am I known by living righteously? Am I known by how much I love my neighbors and treat my family well? Am I known by how I treat my wife? Am I known by my prayer life and how much I know about this word? What defines us? What defines us? Would you bow your heads, please? Listen, let me end on a very positive note. Men in this room, men, if your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, men. I'm a product of an absent father. I still have scars, I still have hurts, I still have bad behaviors because of the absence of a good man in my life. Men in this room, step up, step up. I know you can't do it alone, but let me give you the good news, men. If you will be humble and if you will depend on Christ, if you will humble yourself and call out to him, God will make you the man that you need to be, regardless of the mistakes you've made up until this point. You can be the husband you're supposed to be. You can be the father you're supposed to be. You can be the student or the brother or whatever it is, whatever your lot in life is, you can be what you're supposed to be, but you have to lean on Christ. Women in this room, your value is not found in your flesh. Your value is not found in how manicured your hands are, how beautiful your hair is, 
Nothing wrong with your beautiful hair, nothing wrong with your beautiful nails and your nice clothes. There's nothing wrong with those things. But that's not where your value comes from. And if we of men have led you to believe that, we're sorry, but that's not where your value comes from. Your value comes because you're a princess of the king. You're a daughter of the king. Find your worth in him. If you're a woman in this room and you've struggled with that, you just gotta lean on him. You gotta cry out to him, God, I have found my value in superficial things. Lean on him. For all of us in this room, we have hope. We have hope because Jesus Christ died on the cross. We have hope because the Son of God gave his life as a ransom for all of us in this room. That regardless of the mistakes we've made, regardless of the abuses that have been done to us, God can set us free. God can help us. We can be better. We can step up. All around this room is communion. Represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Everyone in this room who's a Christian, you're welcome to take that. As long as you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. There are men and women up here on the front, on both sides, they would love to pray with you. If you're struggling, if you're hurting, if you need something, please don't walk this road alone. Let us pray with you. Also up here to my right, your left, Greg's up here at the front. He's got a red t-shirt on. He's one of our pastors. If you're new here and you have questions, please come up here and ask Greg. Don't be embarrassed or shy, but come up here and talk to Greg. He'll talk with you. He'll set an appointment with you, whatever we need to do. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I wanna pray, God, for every marriage in this room. I wanna pray, God, for every single man in this room that we can be honorable with our eyes and our thoughts. I wanna pray for every single woman in this room, God, that they can walk in decency and modesty and humility. I wanna pray for all the families in this room, God, that we can raise our children well to honor and fear you, God, that we can be the best that we can be. I wanna pray that you forgive us, Lord, if we've come up short, God, as all of us have. I wanna pray, God, that we can be humble and lean on you, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We praise you, God. Bless my friends, God, and keep them strong until we meet again. We pray all these things in your son's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.